happened to recognize us and invited us to give a greeting that lasted three hours. That's how you used to do it back then. And I will never forget, in 1988, after the first meeting, there was a little back room at the Gethsemane Church. It's a very famous church. It's the church Billy Graham preached in in 1954. Only time Billy Graham went behind the Iron Curtain in Germany was in that church. And here we are, 1988. We go in the little back room. There's about 50 East German leaders. And they said, we want you to pray for us because we realize something through Brother Hagen's book, The Authority of the Believer. We realized, we always thought if anything was going to happen, it was going to come from the West. But we now realize we have authority. We do not have to accept what we're having right now. We want you to pray with us that this nation will open up, that that wall will come down, and the gospel can be freely preached. We said, let's pray. Fourteen months later, in 1989, the wall opened. No war, no fire, no guns fired. People thought it's the diplomacy with Reagan and Gorbachev and the Pope at the time. It was the power of prayer. One of the politicians said this. He said, we were ready for a revolt, but we were not ready for candles and prayers. Because lighting a candle and walking through the streets of Dresden and Leipzig and Berlin and praying. That's how that whole thing got started. The the revolution in Romania, you know how that got started? Three years before the revolution came, one of my Bible school students who had escaped Romania felt in his heart he needed to go back to his home country, so went back to Romania, even though he had a German passport, gave up his German passport, and went back under communism and started to minister to university students. And he opened the door and he said, I need you to come in. And I would go in and minister to the university students. We had Holy Ghost meetings. People were getting healed. Young people were getting filled with the Holy Ghost a little, an underground church was a movement, actually. It wasn't an organization. It was a movement going on with young people. Well, God raised up a reformed pastor of a little church in the city of Temeshwara who started getting a revelation from the, mess, from the Sermon on the Mount about social justice. And he started preaching it, and young people started coming. Some of those young people from the university had gotten saved. And, and, the, and the police came and they forbid him to preach and they closed the door of the church. So what did he do? He opened the windows and he started preaching through the open window and the young people started coming into the streets. When they tried to stop that, it became a movement. And a revolt came because as a result of it, And they were shooting the people in the streets as they were revolting against this oppression. Because you have to understand, Romania was a very oppressive place to live. And most of the people, they had been raised in atheism for the last four decades. But there was something about a church, one of the last old churches standing there, 
that gave them hope. And so they would pray the only prayer they knew, the Our Father, looking at that church every single hour and then go fight again. And then they would stop and pray and go back and fight and go back and fight. And even though they were totally outnumbered and they had no weapons, Ceausescu was overthrown on Christmas Day in 1989. They executed Ceausescu, the dictator, and three days later, we were there with the books into 1990, to January 1990. But it was three days after, I even think it was the 27th of December that we were there, right after Ceausescu was killed. And we brought in the new, we had just translated the new birth into Romanian. And you saw the people grabbing the books. You saw the, the churches full of people. That's in Eastern Europe with people who had never heard the gospel. The hands you saw going up, that weren't people saying hi to me. That were people saying, Jesus, come into my heart. And we saw that happen over and over and over again. And you see, FCC was the place God used to spring all that for, all that forth for nations from Seekonk, from right here. That's part of your reward. And the reward that we have as we send Stefan to go into India and Pakistan where God's opened an amazing door for him. One of the greatest outreaches we have right now is in the nation of Pakistan. Who hears about it? We're reaching thousands of people. Every time he goes, he just preached. They had crowds up to 35,000 people in Pakistan where you'll be killed if you were what they call proselyting. But God has given him favor and protection and they use wisdom. They know how to do it. And Muslims and Hindus are getting saved, asking Jesus into their life. But see, my church knows that's our fruit as well. Because what he does is a result of what we've done together. And what I've done is a result of what we've done together. You know, my my parents were part of this church for many years. after uh, I was the first one in my family to get saved. And after um, I got saved, my mom got saved. And then my dad took a little bit longer. But when he got saved, he came here. And he was an usher in this place. They wanted to put a statue up to him because he, they used to call him the godfather. He made sure you didn't drive fast. One time, one of the pastors drove too fast in the yard. He said, hey, you drive like that one more time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure you never come on this property again. My mother said, you can't talk to the pastor like that. He said, I'll talk to him like that. He, he, there's kids over here. <laughs> that was my father. But everybody loved him. When my father passed away in 2005, we were at the funeral. And I had a neighbor that God had used to expose me for the first time to the gospel. See, I was raised Catholic. And back when I was a kid, you didn't hear the gospel because the, the service was done in Latin. They stopped speaking Latin in the service in 1966. By the time 1966 came, I was already 12 years old and I didn't go to church no more. But when I had to go to church, I never heard nothing I understood. It was all Latin. So when I was eight years old, my neighbor, who was a believer, her name was Gracie, a little lady, 
She had two foster kids. They were my friends, Ronnie and Ray. And she said to my mom, would it be okay our church is having a summer Bible school? And my mom was happy. Great, he can go. I don't have to think of my son (laughs) during the week. He's there all week from 8 in the morning to 4 in the afternoon. She was thrilled. And I heard the gospel. I enjoyed it so much that at the end of that week, we had like a celebration and all the parents came and we, we used to learn a Bible verse every day and we learned a song every day. And so I recited my Bible verse and we sang the songs and the pastor goes up to my dad. He says this, oh, you're Mr. Angelina. Your son's going to be a pastor one day. My father thought, was this guy crazy? I didn't receive Jesus into my life till I was 22. But that seed that she sowed by taking me to a place to hear about Jesus never left me. So this is what I told Gracie, and I want to tell you this tonight. I said, Gracie, you're 80, she must have been 85, 86. She's 85. Uh, you, you're amazing. You're amazing. My brother-in-law just turned 83 last week. Look at him. I'm not afraid to get old anymore. I look at you guys. Look at that. 80, so 85, 83, they look great. Gracie must have been 85, 86. And my dad was 87, yeah, so she was right around that age. And I said, I pulled her aside. I said, Gracie, I got to tell you something. It won't be long until you go to heaven. And I want to warn you, when you get to heaven, there's going to be millions of people that are going to come up to you and thank you. She says, what? I said, Jesus said that when they're going to receive you into the eternal habitations, I said, my life was changed and you planted the first seed. And I never forgot that vacation Bible school. And I want to warn you that when all these people come, I want you to know because you have a part in what God did through my life. And I want you to be prepared. So be prepared. When you get to heaven, don't be shocked because all these people are going to come and say, thank you, you took that little kid across the street to the Bible school so he could hear about Jesus for the first time. Took a while to got up here. Yeah, I was 22, but the seed was planted. And I want to tell you that. Some of you didn't know me before this evening. Some of you didn't even know what we were doing. It doesn't change the history and the connection that God ordained. We would have never done what we had done had Sam not given me the right advice. We would have never been able to change Eastern Germany with the authority of the believer had Sam not been where he needed to be and I had not made that phone call And then because of Sam's recommendation, the Hagen Ministries opened up. We ended up publishing over 35 titles, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of books. We gave more books away than what we sold. I wasn't a good businessman. We smuggled thousands of books behind the Iron Curtain. We worked with with different ministries, getting them into Russian, Polish, Yugoslavia in the Slavic language and then eventually in Romanian because it was all about touching people's lives. So my whole thing tonight was just to say thank you and encourage you. Do not ever think it's insignificant what I'm doing. 
I'm just an usher, or I just help with the children, or I, hey, don't be stupid. Understand, it's not about us. It's about what God can do through us if we'll let him do it. And if everybody's in their place doing what they're supposed to be doing, God will blow your mind. Do you know what we did? When I sat there and watched the video, I made a similar one in German with um, my wife, Mayana, and Stefan, who you met through the video. We did a 12-minute video. Actually, it was 90 minutes, but we weren't going to show a 90-minute video. I edited it down to 12 minutes. You guys got the real condensed version at six. When we sat there, and we started to talk about our memories. We became overwhelmed at what God did through people like us, because we know us. It's like, how did this happen? And it comes back to one thing, grace. God's unmerited favor. God's love towards us in spite of us. God is lieber für uns, trotz uns. That's my famous saying. It's not even right German, but it's my saying. Best translation, God's love towards us in spite of us because sometimes we do not deserve it and he loves us anyway. So it's not about us and yet it is. It's our willingness to just say, okay, God, what you want to do Okay. So I hope this is, I hope this encourages you tonight. I, I wanted to share one last thing with you. The evening went totally different than I thought it was going to go. Um, 20 years ago, I was visiting the south of France. I, of all the places to go, I'm on the French Riviera. Uh, my friend lives right on the street that you drive, leaving Nice to go to Saint-Tropez along the coast. And his family, we became friends because his family had the same mandate for the French language. They were British. And God spoke to their father, and then eventually the sons both picked it up, John and Peter, and they started a church and a Bible school. Uh, it's in the city of, of Nice, but my friend Peter lives in Cannes, um, where they have the film festival. So his house is on the street that goes from Cannes. I'm sorry, it goes from Cannes to Saint-Tropez. And uh, his brother's in Nice. And so his brother is a phenomenal musician. He's a cello player. He's played in the, with the London Philharmonia, and he's played with the Lyon Orchestra, and he travels all over the world playing, but he's also a Bible teacher. And he also does praise and worship. And he loves the way I do music. I don't know why, because he's a real musician. I'm kind of like, I play around with it. And we got together, and we wrote three songs together. And then a year later, he came to Munich, and we went in the studio, the studio that your husband built, that Michael built, and we went in the studio, and we did three basic tracks, cello, guitar. And then over the years, I do a little thing here and a little thing there, but then church gets busy and got no time to do it. It's not my main thing. Um, you saw in the video, I still play in the worship team. So I, I've been doing this a long time. Music's always been a part of my life, but it's not the main thing I do. But I also write. And when I write, see, it's, when God told me to start writing songs, that was a struggle for me 
because I don't write normally church worship songs. When I write, they're like a message. They're a story, something of my life that I want to share with people. And it opens the door for me to tell a story. And I always bring it around to what God's done for me. But they're not in their essence a Christian song, but they are a Christian song. And I talk about my faith, and I talk about my family, and I talk about my friends. I talk about my joy, and I talk about my discouragement. I'm very like an open book. But around 219, I get this urge, I need to finish this. And so a bunch of friends that I used to play with, because I spent six years traveling the world as a pastor with a rock band, going into concerts and clubs, giving my testimony, telling my story, using my music. And then all of a sudden, I needed to stop that because something else was important. So the guys I used to work with, we hadn't been together for 20 years. They called me up and said, hey, let's get together and have dinner. We get to have dinner. I tell them about, well, I'm pulling out this old project I started. And I said, well, why don't you come in the studio next week? And all of a sudden, the project got finished. Now, from day one, the project was called Providence. Because Providence literally means God's care and provision for his people to enable them to fulfill his plan and purpose for his creation. That's what providence means. Providence is also a place I was born. And I just always knew we're going to call this providence. And I put together songs. And when, it, when I finished, I realized I'm, do, I'm writing a musical biography. I talk, there's one song in here, I talk about my childhood. It's called Up on the Hill. You understand that, don't you? Yeah, my family, when I was born, my family lived in Federal Hill. And I called the song Up on the Hill because it's the memories of my childhood. We had such a happy family. We have problems just like every other family, but for us as kids, we had a good time, huh, Sandra? There always a lot of laughter, especially when Dad was drunk. Dad was a happy drunk. He was more scary when he wasn't drinking. When, when George had a few beers and everything was cool. So, and mom, she kept everybody together. So there, from my childhood to my marriage, I want to play a song for you that I wrote when my, my daughter told me, you're going to be a grandfather. I went up in my room and I thought, I'm going to be a grandfather. See, there's something about a 40-year celebration or realizing you're going to be a grandparent, you get to realize you're not going to be here forever. You think you are, but you're not. And the reality of somebody who has a part of you is going to live on beyond you. It's just fascinating. I look at it as a pastor. Something that I, that God used me to establish is going to live far beyond me if I do my job right when nobody even knows who I am. But it'll go on. And something of me as a human is going to live on in my grandson, my granddaughter, and their children, and their children after that, until Jesus. That is to me fascinating. So I went up to my room and I wrote this song. 
I want to play it. Can I play it for you? Is that all right? You're getting to meet me in a different way tonight. This song is called The Evening of the Day. And this is what grandfathers write. It is the evening of the day Not much more for me to say There's no regrets There's looking back There's no mysteries All this, all that Only one thing that remains That's love From this vantage I can see What is important now for me It's not a medal on my chest Not a claims that I'm the best Not winning races and being first It's only love Cause love is what will keep us strong It lets us know where we belong Love is faithful Love never fails how I can tell people about the love of God and so if I play that song in a non-church setting I can tell somebody this is what God does to your life he gives it purpose he gives you he helps you see what, what is lasting and what's important in life can I do another one for you yeah or am I boring you This song, this song is called Things Get Better, and it describes my life. I think any, any, most of us, we're probably all of us, 
we get pulled from meeting to meeting to appointment to appointment. I got to go here, I got to go there. And you find yourself torn between what you know you should be doing and know what you want to do, but you don't always have the time. And life can do that to you. But there's something I found out in life after I've known everything, and I try to put it in this song. Things get better. Well, Monday morning's here again. Gotta go now, can't be late And everybody's making plans And I have to meet demands But something always comes between What I want and what I need It's like I'm slipping away Away from you For me, and I can count on you. You're always on my side. I wish I had more time with you, but something always comes between what I want and what I need. It's like I'm slipping away, away from you. From you What can I do? We'll ask you, we'll be giving you Seeking you will find Not the door will open You just have to take the time When you're on the narrow road And you walk the line Things get better, you just have to take the time. Ask it, we'll be giving you, seeking, you will find. Knock the door will open, you just have to take the time. When you're on the narrow road and you walk the line, things get better. And things get better. Things get better. And things get better. They get better, things get better. Things get better. <laughs> you have to take the time. I wanted to read a scripture to you as we come to a close. Don't tell my church I did this. Like all the young people do. They get up and they pull their phones out. I didn't have my English Bible with me, so I had to go online. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. It's a word for you. It's what God placed in my heart for this church, for this night. Therefore, my beloved brethren, 
Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It doesn't say the older you get, the less you do. It doesn't say, now you may change gears, yeah. You may have different responsibilities, yeah. But he said, abounding in the work of the Lord. Now, if you read it in the context, he just told you there's going to be walking before Jesus, meeting him in the clouds. It's going to be incredible. We're going to be caught up and be with the Lord. Therefore, don't be stupid. That would be my translation. Because only what you do now is what you're going to take with you. And this is just a fleeting moment. This life, eternity is a long time. So don't be discouraged. Don't be distracted. Don't, don't, believe me, I've been there. Had the t-shirt, did it all. One day you turn around and you think, oh my God, how did all that happen? And it's always through the family of God, through the collective effort, through us not getting off course, through us staying steadfast, being unmovable, abounding in the work of the Lord. There it is. This last song I want to sing as I close. This is my way of singing a prayer. And it's called, Lord, It's Me Again. Lord, it's me again. Here I am, I'm on my knees. It's me 
knees for all you are and all you do Lord it's only everybody. I hope tonight was an inspiration and a point of making a determination to stay steadfast, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because let me tell you, he'll bring you to a place you never thought you could be. Amen. God bless you. Pastor. Wow, thank you very much, Pastor John. Hopefully you also captured some encouragement today. And thank you for your music and that sweet song. Just reminding us how much we need to be raw in front of God and be thankful for everything he continues to do in our lives, in our lives. But we want to thank you as a church because you, yes, you heard the call. You went towards that need. God planted and grew the seeds through the grace he gave you. So we are thankful for you hearing that call and going towards that need. And that's a recipe not just for Pastor John, but for each and every one of us. Because as he had mentioned, we all have individual calls in our lives. And sometimes as we begin to head towards those needs, he gives us the grace to plant seeds and he'll grow them. We don't have to do them. We just trust in him. But yes... What an encouraging night. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. We wanted to bless our speaker tonight. We are going to have our normal tithes and offerings, but we also want to hold a love offering for Pastor John.